Kudu here. Listen to Safari. Bits and bites from the bush. Wilderness wise with eco-training. Okay, my name is Russell. Um, I'm a guide at eco-training. We did speak a little bit earlier on the uh, Solomon's Wall that we're sitting on now. It's an interesting place where we're sitting now to just to talk about some of the human history of this area, Mashatu. It's an area that's been occupied by our earliest ancestors going back thousands of years. So again, to walk through this area and, and feel that sense of antiquity and the sense of this is where, where uh, we evolved from to a certain extent is one of the many, many fascinating aspects of being in the Mashatu area. If you think of Mashatu and again looking at the river in front of us, the Matlotsi River, and how uh, Botswana was shaped by the, um, the rifting, uh, the rift valley, and how much of man's evolution is traced back to the Great Rift Valley. Uh, we look at the Okavango Delta and the geology of the area and how so much of that was carved out by the, by the Great Rift Valley. Uh, the Rift Valley being essentially a line of weakness between the crustal plates and it began to crack the uh, crustal movements uh, sort of followed the crack of the earth and about five million years ago the great rift started to crack its way through Africa from Egypt, from the Red Sea and finally that crack uh, ended in right up in the Okavango Delta so essentially uh, we're the southeastern end of the great rift valley here in Botswana uh, and the rift valley had a big influence on the forming of the Okavango Delta it formed a series of fault lines two of which collapsed uh, to form a trough in the middle of the, of the Kalahari Desert and that trough then captured the flow of the Okavango River to create the Okavango Delta. And if you follow the rift backwards all the way up through Africa, all the great lakes of Africa occur along the rift. Um, and if you look back at ancient the evolution of human history, a lot of our ancestors, a lot of the, the archaeological discoveries have been made in the rift valley. Because rifts are very productive areas, very fertile areas, they were very attractive to our ancestors. For the same reason, we have the major migrations of zebra and wildebeest into the rift valleys. The same, that's the same reason. Because rifts are very, very fertile, in your rifts, because it's a line of weakness in the Earth's crust, your hot magma and your volcanic basalt was able to ooze up between these cracks and then solidify uh, to form the hills and the mountains of, of the rift valley. Very similar to this dolerite dike that we're sitting on, uh, Solomon's Wall comprised mainly of dolerite and basalt, it was also volcanic rock that oozed up between cracks, solidified, and is now left high and dry as the surrounding areas around it have eroded away. Uh, and a lot of this rock type we're sitting on uh, was utilized by early man, uh, by sort of Homo habilis, the earliest tool makers, to fashion their, their ancient um, hand axes. So when we walk through Mashatu, we literally can trace back human evolution to, to two million years ago, or way back when, when the first of our ancestors started to, to walk on these, uh, on these plains. Uh, so around this area we, we find hand axes going right back to, to that very, very early um, development of humanity. Uh, and as we follow sort of the history of humani humanity upwards, we also start to find more modern uh, Stone Age tools in the area. The area was occupied by the sand bushman people, uh, hunter-gatherer people that lived peacefully on the plains of Mashatu. Uh, and they lived for thousands of years in harmony with the earth, uh, utilizing these hard rocks like basalt and dolerite to fashion their stone tools. They also used the very hard woods around us to, as their digging sticks where the women would be expert botanists. They would know the edible roots and tubers and how to best find them using their digging, digging sticks. Uh, the men would be able to, to hunt and uh, bring in the protein. They would often use uh, chips of rock 
to um, form the tips of their arrows, which would, they were coating poison. Uh, so these people lived in harmony with the earth for thousands and thousands of years in the Mashati area. Uh, the geology, again, was very important in the um, lifestyle of these early people. A lot of the sa sandstone, the Clarence sandstone formations you see around us, eroded to form um, overhangs uh, in which the Bushman people were able to shelter, and they also left a lot of their rock art in these overhang uh, shelters. So we're able to read a lot of the history uh, that has been painted onto the rock walls in this area. Uh, and it's wonderful to see um, the beauty of their art, often representing animals that were important to them. So they painted the eland a lot. The eland was an animal very important in, in Bushman culture. It provided a lot of meat. It's a very large animal. Uh, it, it's, it has a lot of fat, so the meat is very, very um, nice to eat. The skins are, are big and were useful for the Bushmen in, in fashioning their, their clothing, uh, their backpacks, uh, their, their equipment, was, uh, the sinew was used to, to make rope or anything that they needed to, to make straps with was made out of eland. So they revered the eland. It was an animal they had a lot of respect for. And being such gentle people, the, the Bantu name for them is abatwa, which means the gentle people. If they took something from the earth, they would always return to the earth so that there would be something for their ancestors. And they were true, truly conservationists in every respect. And it was very difficult for them to kill an eland because they loved the animal as much as they needed it. So they would often hold ceremonies after having killed an eland to thank that eland spirit for providing them with meat and with hides and with leather. Um, and uh, they would then also paint those events, the, the depictions of a successful hunt again in respect of that eland. So often after an, a hunt they would paint the eland that they had just killed. Uh, and there were various reasons for this. That the, the Bushmen believed that power, immense power, resided in the wild animals. And you could access this power through the blood of that animal. So once they've eaten the meat of an eland, they would have that power temporarily in their bodies. But by harnessing the power in their art, they were able to capture the power on a more permanent basis. So they would use the blood of the eland in their paint. Uh, they would mix it with um, various natural products like egg yolk, sap from different plants. Uh, and these artists were experts in, to the point that this art is still intact on these cave walls thousands and thousands of years after it was painted. In painting the, the, uh, using the eland blood, they would then be able to access that power years after they had killed that eland. So a lot of ceremonies would be hold, held around uh, the paintings. So they would, the way that they would contact their ancestors, would, they would go into trance, and that was done through dancing. Uh, the woman would clap, clap ryth rhythmically and the men would dance around and around the fire, and eventually that rhythm would transport them into a trance-like state. And when they were in trance, they could then travel out of their bodies and meet up with their ancestors to discuss matters with their ancestors of importance, to, to beg for, plead for rain, um, to find out what was happening with, with their other families in far, far distances, and to discuss all issues of importance with their ancestors. Uh, and they would be transported into this trance-like state by the rhythmic clapping and also in the presence of the art, where the, all the eland that they had utilized in the past the power of those eland was in, in that painting and they could then access that power in that place uh, while they were dancing. So it makes it very interesting for us to visit these art sites knowing a little bit more uh, about why they were painted, that these people were not simply painting for the fun of painting, they were actually painting to maintain and conserve energy. Uh, and for us we think it's very important to preserve these sites here because it, it represents a part of our ancient selves. We've evolved through these people and our evolution is traced right back to the Rift Valley. So we also have a sense of connection when we come to these places. Many people will refer to the sense of, uh, of having been here before 
a feeling of familiarity of deja vu when they come to Africa for the first time. Um, and many psychologists believe that it, it's because we have all been there before. We have this collective memory of our most ancient um, beginnings. And all of that past and history is represented here in Mashati. Uh, if you look at from the Bushman people, sadly they were displaced by the Iron Age people that came with more modern technology. The Bushmen had a very um, peaceful existence. There was no sense of ownership. Everything was shared. Everything was owned by everybody. So when the Iron Age people came, they came with a much more complicated uh, social system. Cattle represented wealth. So once you had um, one person being wealthy and another person, a sort of social structure started to develop where you had rulers, uh, you had more important people, you had peasantry. And often the rulers in this area would live up on top of the hills because those were the safest sort of areas to live. So we find these wonderful stone walls still in place, uh, 2,000 years old, uh, that the people built for their, as palaces for their royal, royal people. Uh, so as we climb these hills, we still find these beautiful rock walls preserved and it transports us, transports us back to the time of these early Iron Age people, incredibly sophisticated people that traded ivory and uh, gold. Uh, they were able to mine gold in the area, which they traded with immense, vast networks down the Limpopo Valley where they linked up with the traders, uh, Asian traders on the coast. And to think that 2,000 years ago, people living here were trading with, with India, with China, by carrying the, their trade goods um, on foot over these wild uh, elephant trails and pathways to access the coast. Uh, and they were trading gold and elephant tusks and uh, rhino horn with the Chinese and the Indians for, for beads, for materials. Uh, and, and a lot of that stuff has been found here. There's an archaeological site here where a golden rhino was discovered. Uh, and these people are known as the Mapamgubwe people, the Iron Age people of this era that lived in the area. Uh, so the rocks, the, the stones were, were built peacefully as, as a means of signifying where the royal people lived. We also see on the ground lots of uh, pottery. We'll pick up uh, vast um, areas of shards of pottery where immense amounts of people lived down in the valleys. So the peasantry would live in the valleys um, in, in their huts with their cattle um, and they've left behind all these traces of, of their having been in the form of, of pottery shards and, and beads. And it was also a time of peace. If we look at the pottery, we can actually read the history of how the people lived in the pottery. Because they lived peacefully, they had time to decorate their pots. So we find a lot of the pottery with stylized decorations on them, representing a time where people had food, they had shelter, so they could now start to experiment and actualize in art. Uh, and then sadly, we see changes starting to come into the area. Africa went through a very violent stage known as the Difakani during the reign of Shaka Zulu. Shaka the Zulu was a, a very powerful Zulu king. Uh, that dreamed of creating a massive empire across southern Africa uh, by conquering other tribes. And he went on the rampage, and during the period of the Shakan era, Africa suffered uh, immense violence. These domino effect of violence swept across the African continent and displaced the sort of peaceful people in this area. Uh, so we see a period after the Mapungubwe people, who, who were the Iron Age people that traded gold in the area, there was some sort of ecological collapse that there were just so many people living here at some period that the Mapungubwe people were forced to move out uh, and joined up with the, uh, the Zimbabwean culture, the great Zimbabwe culture. And the area was pretty much devastated uh, over that period. There's suspicions that there was a climate change at the time. It became extremely cold in the area, and that also forced the people to, to move. Uh, climatic conditions later improved, um, and during the Shakan era, refugees from the Shakan Wars fled into this area uh, and hid on these hills to try and escape from the... Uh, shark and um, the violence of the Zulu people. And then we see the stones and rocks here being used defensively. So, so from having been 
built 2,000 years ago for palaces. They were then used defensively, and often when we climb up the, uh, the rock passes, we'll come to the top and find these defensive uh, rock formations and fortifications that were built mainly by the vendor people to try and protect themselves from any attacks by um, aggressive tribes. They would build walls so it would be difficult for people to climb over. It would slow them down, and then they would have a big pile of rocks that they could roll down onto the people when they were trying to come up the steep sides. So the original rocks were put there by the, by the Mapungubwe people for peaceful means, and later those same rocks were used defensively uh, during aggressive uh, times of more aggression. And it's also interesting to see how the pottery changed during the Shakan era. People didn't have time to paint uh, and, and express themselves artistically in their pottery. The pottery was much more functional during that period. So we find the pottery becoming more basic. Simply they could make pottery that they could use and they could abandon if they had to run away suddenly. We also find often that the pottery will be smashed uh, when, when the Matabili and, and the Zulu people came through uh, and displaced people. They would generally smash their pottery and their, and their grinding stones so that it would be difficult for them to reoccupy the area. So we see the stages of history whether it was peaceful or violent, represented in, in what we find left behind. We see, see it in the cave art of the Bushman people. Before the Iron Age people came into, into the area, the art was very peaceful, typifying hunting scenes, people dancing, uh, joyful scenes. And then we start to see people arriving in the art carrying um, spears, and then we see the art becoming more violent as the Bushman people were, were displaced by the uh, cattle people. Uh, we see battle scenes enacted where the Bushmen are firing their poison arrows at taller people that are carrying, uh, throwing spears at them. And all of this is depicted in, in, in the rock art of the, of the time. The, later, in later rock art, we see the appearance of men on horseback with guns depicted in the art. And sadly, that's sort of where the art starts to end, because that was when the Bushmen people were basically driven out and in a lot of cases wiped out by the early settlers, the early white settlers, and also the, early Iron, the later Iron Age people. Because the, the Bushmen people competed with the Iron Age people, the Iron Age people came in with cattle, which destroyed the habitat for the eland and the wildlife that the Bushmen were dependent on. And then the Bushmen had nothing else to hunt because the area was then uh, cattle replaced the wildlife, and they would simply then shoot the cows with their poison arrows. And that put them at direct war and competition with your cattle people. Of course, the, the Iron Age people and the Bantu people, cattle was their form of wealth. It was their form of status. Cattle was everything to them. So there, there was no greater sort of insult to a man than shooting his cattle or stealing his cattle. And that, of course, put the Bushmen in direct competition with both the white settlers and the Bantu people. Uh, so we see this history, uh, in fascinating history, going right through from the earliest Stone Age people, uh, the earliest Homo habilis people, right through to modern day. In more recent times, the area again was fraught with violence and became involved during the Anglo-Boer War between the British and the Boers. For more audio safaris, visit kuduhere.com.